Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, the theme of this uh, season is going to be mobilization. We want to kick this thing off by talking about how to get uh, short-term missions moving again, whether you're doing it with students or through your local church. Uh, Hang in, and uh, we'll talk about short-term missions after the break. Hey, welcome back into the studio, Dr. Anna Dobb. Anna, welcome. Hey, thanks. Glad to be back. So we have uh, another cool story. We do. Today I want to talk about Gladys Adelward. Very good. Yes. She's a lady that very few people know about unless you're kind of really deep into missions history, right? It's true. So she, it's interesting that we don't really know about her because if you look at her life, at the end of her life, she's actually pretty famous. Right. Um, she has a movie done about her that's called The End of the Sixth Happiness, right. which actually starred Ingrid Bergman. Wow. I know, big deal. Um, she had a book written about her. I mean, so she was pretty famous, but for us, for our generation, we don't really know much right. about her. Um, so Gladys was a domestic servant known as a parlor maid at okay. the time, uh, and she just felt called to go to China. She actually applied for the Chinese Inland Mission and was rejected. Is that right? Yes. Uh, they basically just said that she probably didn't have the, the skills or the ability to be a missionary. Wow. And uh, most likely, people think she probably had a learning disorder. Okay. Um, and that was probably the reason she was rejected by the board. But she decided she wanted to go anyway. Mm-hmm. So she actually starts. I mean, she's a parlor maid, so right. she's not making a whole lot of money. Right. But she decides... She's going to save all of her money to be able to buy passage on a railroad hmm. from Europe through Russia and to China. Wow. Well, that's a journey. That's a journey. And in this time, she actually uh, there's actually skirmishes between the Russians and the Chinese. Hmm. And so she's on this train with all these Russian men uh, who are going to fight skirmishes with the Chinese. But she goes there. She decides to work with a widow who was living in China at the time. Okay. Um, it actually ends up being a, a kind of an unfortunate matching. Uh, they're, they're not good for each other. Mm. <laughs> and the, the woman who's in China was actually probably a, a bit abrupt and a okay. bit abrasive. And so there's all kinds of issues. But Gladys kind of uh, humbly serves with her uh, for the time that, she, that that woman lives, basically. Okay. Um, after she lives, there's actually, or after she dies, there's actually this moment where she's kind of looking around and what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. She gets offered the opportunity to serve as a foot inspector. By a the foot inspector? Yes. So What an interesting job. I, I, it's super interesting. Back in the day, uh, there was this practice in China that was foot binding. It mm-hmm. was actually illegal at the time. Okay. And so they would have people who would go and inspect feet to make sure people weren't breaking the law. Okay. They... They they struggled to find people in China who would do this because it was you know dishonoring to their people. Right. And so they would often hire foreigners to be these people to, who would go in and foot, foot inspect. inspect. Yeah. So <laughs> it actually opens all these doors for her mm-hmm. because all of a sudden she's in all these homes mm-hmm. and she decides to use this as almost like an itinerant evangelist. Wow. And so she goes into homes, inspects feet, tells them about tells them about the gospel. Um. After that, uh, China gets invaded. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at like 1930s at this point. So China gets invaded by the Japanese. Right. And she decides to stay. Okay. Uh, Most likely, we believe that she probably actually had Chinese citizenship at this point. Okay. And considers herself 
a, a Chinese, Chinese citizen, citizen. Yeah. And so she stays with the Chinese. Um, she finally has to flee and actually takes all these Chinese like war orphan children mm. with her. Um, gets them all to safety. It's a it's a crazy story. No wonder there's a movie about her. I life. know. <laughs> 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 um, but but she she then decides I want to return to China. So uh-huh. she she waits a few years, returns to China. And then serves as a Bible woman. A Bible. Now, you probably have to explain what that means. Yeah. So a Bible woman was a, uh, mostly at the time, Chinese woman Mm -hmm. who would take the gospel, basically as an itinerant evangelist in a lot of ways, um, take the gospel to the people around them. They were often very poor. Right. And they were often um, just doing the job that they were doing because they believed in that the Lord had called them to do it. Right. And so there wasn't a whole lot of prestige or glory to it. Um, and I, I have a feeling most missionaries would not have wanted that job. Yeah, it would be really a step back for a Western missionary to assume that kind of menial role. Yeah, yeah. So uh, she works in that in that job for a while, and then she returns home. She visits home. At that point, she kind of steps into the limelight because her she has family who have been telling her story, and then she okay. gets to come back and tell her story, and that's really where it all kind of spins into this. You know, there's a film, and there's a there's uh, books. books and and <laughs> wow, what <laughs> a story! It's it's a crazy story, um, and it's a crazy story of a woman who said, "I feel called to this, and even though my life looks like there's all these barriers to it, I'm going to go." Yeah, every obstacle overcome when you pursue God's call in your life. So exactly. what a what an amazing story. And we would encourage all of our listeners, uh, if you have an opportunity, go find the movie. Again, there are very few uh, missionaries I think you're going to find uh, movies made of their life that are dramatic with a with a uh, you know a classic kind of uh, tier A actress, Ingrid sure. Bergman, that yep. stars the, the, the missionary. But go find this. And again, as you pursue and think about God's call in your life, let Gladys Outward be an example for you. There's, you know, we we push through, we pursue, uh, and we follow God's call in our life. Thanks a ton, Anna. Thank you. What a great story. Well, Keelan, here we are, back to a new semester, and your number one challenge is mobilization. That's right. We, for a couple of years, because of COVID and travel issues, haven't really been able to. Uh, get people moving to the nations on short-term mission trips. Uh, churches have been stymied in this. Uh, seminaries, colleges have been stymied. And so we thought we'd take just a few minutes today and talk about uh, re-engaging in short-term mission trips, why it's important, uh, what are some things to try to avoid, and just really thinking about this whole aim of doing missions short-term. That's right, Scott. So one of the things we're thinking through here in the Mission Center, and he just said mobilization, right? We've been on pause for a couple of years, not in a true sense, but certainly in a, hey, let's get on a plane and go somewhere sense, right? Uh, when it comes to mobilizing people to think through their calling and consider how they're going to fulfill the Great Commission, what pathway they're going to take to do that. And so for us, now that the world seems to be opening back up a bit and we're in a position to really get back on some planes and start thinking through where we're going to go and how we're going to make disciples in different places all over the world, uh, we as a seminary, we as a center are really picking up fresh this conversation about mobilization. And that two-year pause has given us an opportunity to sit back and say, maybe we need to think through some fresh ways Uh, to look at this issue kind of in the new world that we find ourselves in. And so we're doing that, and one of the first pieces of it for us here at Southeastern is this question of short-term mission trips. Uh, We at the seminary have a long history 
of being really actively engaged with local churches and our IMB teams who are out on the mission field all over the world in short-term mission efforts. It's been one of the landmark things that we do as a center in order for our students to have a real experience that helps them think through their own calling, as well as use our army of seminary students to help push forward the long-term strategies of several of our, our missions teams that are on the, on the field. So we're kicking that back off here and realize this is not just us that are having to think about how do we reignite a short-term mission strategy, but all of our local churches across the country are having to do, do the same. So we thought, hey, why, why don't we have this conversation on here today? Right. I think that's exactly right. And I think we begin the conversation by asking the question, why? Right. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, we got uh, kind of shut down. In fact, I remember uh, uh, we had three uh, short-term teams out at exactly right. the moment when the world shut down. And we went into scramble mode, getting everyone back from uh, overseas and across the, the country. Hey, you've got to come home. The World Health Organization has told us that we, uh, we need to shut this thing down. And so I remember that kind of through the lens of short-term missions. So they ask the question, why? So what are the benefits, right, of doing mission short-term? You've hit a couple of them. Yep. One is that we extend our footprint, uh, the, uh, the masses of people uh, that we have in our churches, uh, seminary students who can go and engage in missions and God's call around the world on a short-term basis, not to replace the long-term missionary. That uh, you know, We don't believe in the amateurization of missions. We believe that missions is a... Uh, is something that's done best with people who are who are on location, learning languages, you know, engaging in culture. But the short-term mission team comes to add to that, so there's an addition that goes with it. There's also the mobilization element of calling. Over the years, uh, as we have taken uh, uh, students and church members overseas, we watch God work in their life, give them a vision for the nations. It's one thing to read about missions. It's one thing to hear sermons about missions, but it's another thing to get off the airplane to to be in a different place, to smell the smells, to hear the sounds, to taste the food, to talk to the people, for God to really capture your holy imagination for what you could be doing. So there's really this moment where God does a miracle in your life of confirming what is your role and your responsibility in the Great Commission. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've had story after story here at Southeastern of students who went on a mission trip. It might have been their first. It may have been their 31st. And somewhere along the way, that experience is one that helped them solidify as they've been prayerfully considering where the Lord would have them serve, uh, what that pathway might be. So it becomes a tremendous tool uh, for those who are trying to discern, how would God like to use me? And when we kind of shift our posture toward thinking, and of course, Dr. Aiken says it all the time, right? The question is not, why should I go? It's why should I stay? If we turn our posture toward that approach, and then we start engaging in mm -hmm. activities in these various contexts, it gives us uh, some handles to help better think through that. I'll tell you another benefit that I think is a really helpful one, but uh, not one that people often consider, is mm -hmm. the fact that short-term mission teams for that long-term missionary are expendable. Right. Now, let me unpack what I mean by that. So there are, when you are on the field as a missionary, particularly in a creative access location, mm -hmm. uh, certain things it's harder for you to be able to engage in when it comes to developing a mission strategy or experiments that you might like to have as far as evangelism or gospel proclamation or some kind of engagement strategy in a short-term missions team where people are going to be there for a little while and they're 
the status of their visa, perhaps, mm-hmm. is not contingent upon something happening or they're, they're leaving in 10 days. They can often come in and be a really strategic addition right. uh, to a strategy because, well, if something happens to them, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to get put on a plane and sent home. Right. But they're planning on doing that in a couple of days anyways. Right. Yeah. It's a way to experiment with uh, what may or may not work, right? Your, your long-term uh, reputation isn't on the line. Now, that brings us to there's some problems with short-term missions. And yeah, I think absolutely. as we think about re-engaging, how about we make a decision to not repeat some of the mistakes that we you know, were making before? And so I think as we think through some issues with short-term missions, one of them is uh, or can be the consumerization of, uh, of, of missions. No doubt. Uh, missions as American tourism and travel agencies – you know, we want to make sure that we keep focused that what we're doing is advancing the Great Commission, that we're serving uh, the peoples on the field, that we're supporting the work of the missionaries. So we don't want to fall into the trap of consumerism, commercialism, and tourism as uh, this driving force for short-term missions. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, we all know the trope at this point of that missions-tourism approach that churches take. And really, why we're going over there is so that we can all get a picture of ourselves holding an orphan or painting a house or doing something like that so that we can beef up our own social media feed. Now, if that's the vision of short-term missions that you've got, you need to be able to dispel that and get rid of it quickly. Uh, that's uh, If you've not ever read the book When Helping Hurts, right, right it gets into this idea of toxic charity or, or doing things that are actually a, a hindrance to the, the transmission of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, instead of something that's a real benefit. Uh, one of the things I like to tell churches when they're trying to think through this, and we, we think through it at Southeastern as well, we want mission trips, a short-term trip, to be field driven. Mm -hmm. In other words, we don't want to reach out to missionaries and tell them what we're going to come do for them. Instead, we want it to be a genuine request from the field. Uh, Missions teams all over the world will find spaces in their long-term strategy where a short-term strategy nests into the middle of what they're doing, and it actually pushes their long-term strategy forward. Those are the kind of moments that we really want to be a part of. So we want, uh, as churches, to think through how this is actually engaging in real work that pushes that missionary strategy forward. We always want to be able to say of a short-term mission trip, our 10 days there made their work easier, better, more successful than it would have had we not come. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you're a missions pastor or if you're sending the pulpit on a regular basis, how do you cast vision for short-term mission trips? This would be a great time to rework your language, rework your your calling, your passion, to strip down some of these negative, again, tourism, consumerism, uh, language, and, and raise up this concept of, you know, we're advancing God's mission. We're doing something that's pushing back the darkness, supporting uh, missionaries as Southern Baptists with thousands of missionaries around the world, thousands of missionaries across the United States. And so let's recast the the task of the short-term missionary, the short-term mission team, as a way that places it within the overall context of the Great Commission and supporting our missionaries who are on the field. 
Well, and I'll tell you another thing, Scott, uh, that this particular moment allows us to do. It allows us to clarify some of our language because we've paused and now we want to restart and we can think fresh about how we speak about mission trips through our churches. It also allows us to think about the partnerships that we have. Uh, one of the other things that can become an unhealthy approach to missions is a real, uh, I tend to talk about the difference between uh, like being a water sprinkler versus mm. a water hose Good. in the way you as a church approach this issue. And this falls into that missions tourism idea again. How many continents can we visit in the next few years? Uh, so let's spread as thin as possible and go to as many spaces as possible so we can put as many notches in our belt as possible, right, is essentially right. the idea there. Now is an opportunity, since you've perhaps shut a lot of those down, to maybe not open so many of them back up. Be wise. Yeah, be wise and focus on just a few of those and start asking, what does it look like for us to do repeated touches in a few places so that we become a continual part of a strategy somewhere? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly exactly what we're thinking. So, Keen, let's ask this question. So, I'm a pastor of a church. It's a small church, right? If you're you're in a big church, you have a lot of people, maybe more money, uh, the idea of of engaging in missions may be a low-hanging fruit. But for some folks, you're in a smaller church and you're thinking, yeah, okay, how do we start this up? It takes a whole lot more uh, momentum, a whole lot more effort. I'm a pastor of a, of a, sh- a smaller church, or you know, maybe I'm not even on staff at a small church, but I really would like my church to be involved in short-term missions, join this new mobilization movement that may be taking place. How do I do that? That is an Excellent question. And so when I worked in associational leadership, it was one of my favorite questions, too. Uh, When I'd have those normative-sized churches, uh, not our our big mega churches uh, with a budget and staff and all of those kind of things, but our normative-sized churches that would say, we see the value of having a strategy that engages in short-term missions trips and partnerships overseas, but man, how do we do that? We don't have the resources here to pull something like that off, that kind of strategy. Uh, I've even got it several times as the semester has started here, churches in the area that are smaller that are saying, hey, how do we lean into that kind of thing? And the answer, I think, is uh, one that really becomes a hallmark for us as Southern Baptists. The answer is cooperation. There are many ways that we can work alongside other churches to engage in this kind of effort. Uh, And uh, again, when I was in the association, we we as the association served as a vital function uh, for churches to be able to work with each other to be able to engage in short-term mission trips. So the thing that I would encourage, if you're a pastor of one of those more normal-sized churches, and you're saying, we'd love to do this, but we're not sure how, uh, think about partnering up with other churches in your area, other churches in your state convention or your association, and developing a way where you all can work together to create uh, opportunities for your churches to jointly partner with, say, an IMB team on the field. And uh, know that you have those opportunities in front of you. In addition, this is a big piece of what we do here at the seminary. I have churches regularly call us in the Center for Great Commission Studies and say, hey, we'd love to design a strategy for how we can do this. And perhaps the only strategy you've seen is one that's done by a big church. And you're wondering, what does it look like for small churches to do it? Well, we're actually here to help with that at Southeastern, and we'd be happy to. So you're welcome to reach out to us, and we'd be happy to sit down with you and think through what that looks like. Yeah, that's right. You know, one of the things that we have done over the years, decades that we've been working on this, has developed some partnerships and relationships, and we would love nothing more uh, than to assist you uh, as you're thinking about uh, engaging 
mobilizing your people for the nations. And so if there's any way that we can do that, don't hesitate to reach out. You know, our real goal at Southeastern is to equip our students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. And we also know that we're here to serve the churches of the convention. And so we want to be able right. to come alongside you uh, and help encourage you, support you uh, when it comes to uh, missions mobilization. So as we move into this season of mobilizing and sending to the field, air travel is moving, uh, the world is opening up. Keelan, what are two or three just real quick bullet points of advice that you think we ought to give to people as they think about sticking their foot back into the water for short-term missions. Yeah, so I'm going to aim this in particular at church leadership. Now, that may be paid staff, pastors. It may be missions committee, lay people. Uh, If you're thinking through in a local church setting how you're going to do this, step one, and we mentioned this earlier, examine the way you used to do it. This is a great moment to sit down and look at what you were doing with a critical eye. Now's a moment when we can make some really easy changes because we've had to pump the brakes on stuff and we're getting ready to start it back up. It's a good pivot. So step one, you need to re-examine what you were doing. Step two, focus what you were doing. So let's, let's talk about narrowing down our focus. You don't need to start everything at the same time, perhaps. Lean into two or three of your best partnerships that you think are going to be the most valuable for your church and for that field strategy. And lean into those in order to develop this. Uh, And the third thing I would say is pump the gas, Mm. right? Like, so we pump the brakes in the beginning, but then hit the, hit the pedal. We need to, we need to push back into this. I think there is no time better than now as the world is opening back up to cast a vision to our church members about the importance of engaging in this kind of work long-term. And then maybe them seeing how it would lead them to the nations in a more long-term basis. Yeah. Very good. Hey, look, our encouragement to you is that, uh, that you do really begin to think seriously about God's call uh, on your church and on your people and even on your on your life as you think about uh, the Great Commission. Here at The Scent Life, uh, we remind ourselves regularly and remind you that our God is a missionary God and we are his missionary people. And our vision and our passion is to follow him, that he would be glorified among the nations. Uh, we do that in our lives. We do that as we lead our people. And so our encouragement uh, through this season is going to be mobilization. How do we get back to the field Uh, and get back into the business of making disciples of all nations. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like this podcast, uh, pass it on to somebody else. Uh, Let others hear what we're doing. Subscribe uh, so that you can keep up with what we drop each uh, each, uh, week as one of our episodes. And again, uh, we look forward to hearing from you uh, here at Southeastern Seminary. Thanks so much for tuning in. Okay, hey, welcome back. We have uh, Dr. George Robinson in our studio now for our Out of the Tower segment. Uh, George, what do you got for us this week? Yeah, this week we're going to be talking through entry strategies. Okay. And so the International Mission Board defines the core missionary task as this process that every believer should be living on where we enter into new places, where we evangelize, where we make disciples, where we gather those disciples together, develop leaders, and then uh, forge partnerships to exit. Right. And so entry strategies, they're, uh, you know, I think about when I was serving in South Asia, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know anybody when I hit the ground there. Um, and so I had to 
engage people that I did not know. And when I was engaging those people, I was looking for what some uh, people in missions call a person of peace. And so a person of peace is a person who welcomes the messenger, who is open to the message, and then helps to get the message out. And so even today I was emailing with someone who's going back to that same area that I worked in nearly 20 years ago, and he was asking, do you have any contacts? And I said, oh, I've got this person of peace. Hmm. He's not yet a believer, but he not only welcomed me, he was open to discussing the message of the gospel and open to helping me get the message out, so much so that he used his relationships uh, to give me new relationships with every elder in all of the villages Uh, in that surrounding region. So entry strategies, we need to look for a person of peace if if we're going to work in an area where we don't know anyone. And then second uh, entry strategy is that of a circle of influence, or what some people call an oikos, uh, the Greek word. Not Greek yogurt, (laughs) but uh, the Greek word oikos. And so looking for a circle of influence, and and so whenever a person uh, comes to faith in Christ or I'm discipling them and trying to help them to engage people with the gospel, I tell them to think through where they live, where they work, and where they play. Okay. Um, and then to identify key people where they live, work, and play that are near to them relationally mm-hmm. but far from God. And so if you can map that out and begin to pray intentionally for people where you live, work, and play, then what's going to happen is not only will you be praying uh, for them to hear the gospel, but you yourself will be sensitive to the Spirit's work uh, in their lives, and you'll be more likely to engage them with the gospel. That's great. So we got the person of peace. Right. we got the oikos or the relationship chain that we've got. Both of those are great ways that um, any of us, anywhere that God places us, can start Uh, some type of movement of the gospel in the community that God places us in. That's right, Dr. Hildreth. I I remember landing in uh, one of the largest megacities in the world and meeting with the missionary there. He was training actually a team from here at Southeastern. And we're sitting out in the midst of just a mass of humanity. And he said, look, I want to make this simple for you. He said, there are only two kinds of people you'll meet in the city. Uh, there are people that you know and people that you don't know, and you're not likely to run into a whole lot of people you know, so the strategy is you're looking for a person of peace. And sure enough, that week we actually found some persons of peace, and there were house churches that were started out of the work that was done that week. Wow. Amen. That's great. What unlocked your, your a new area, new territory. Thanks for being with us this week, George. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here.